Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Andrew, happy new year. Happy new year to you. Long time no, no here. Long time now here, and yes, another year, another set of scandals, another yes. podcast. Are you excited? I'm very excited, and we're beginning to get some feedback, which is good, what people like and don't like. We've been able to analyse the data to show what people are listening to. Exactly. And though we want to give a range, uh, it's clear royal stories are very popular. Well, it's just as well that it's January 2023, and everybody's talking about a royal story, aren't they? They are yes. Prince Harry is is uh, is is always very good for a bit of media coverage, and we've got a particularly exciting guest today, haven't we? We have. Um, you should explain who she is, actually, Andrew, because I think she's a friend of yours. Yes, she is. She's called Elsa Anderson. She was the Queen's press secretary between two thousand and one and two thousand and thirteen. She's now a commentator. I mean, has other jobs, but is a commentator uh, on royal matters. Very well. Um, informed and very highly regarded and i think she will be brilliant she's always a great straight talker and uh has a very good reputation with the press well so, you know a real insider i mean we've been very lucky you know we had valentine the other day who was probably the most important journalist in all of this harry and megan stuff yeah no no we have been very fortunate the people who want to take part uh and uh have and I'm sure also be the same. Will have interesting things to say, uh, different things because so much of raw reporting is is very much the same stuff. Uh, well, I've got a few things to say. I mean, I, I obviously a lot of this is, and it's it's kind of grotesque. You can't stop watching it. It's like a car crash. You feel really sorry for the guy. Um, some of it's funny. I mean, all that stuff. Oh my god, the oversharing, the smacked bottoms, the drugs, frolicking <laughs> behind pubs. 
Strange, it's not like one of our books, doesn't it? It sounds like Ozzy like Daddy 78, doesn't it, Andrew? <laughs> it does, yes. Happy memories. Oh, oh, that, whatever. I like the word stallion there. When you, when you sort of disappeared behind that taverna all those years ago? Uh, yeah. No, no, he's put it all in, or else his ghost has put it all in, uh, and basically left him to just a car crash. He hasn't got... No one seems to have advised him about any sort of... Uh, whether some of the stuff was wise. And, and, and I mean, one of the ironies I find is I'm constantly trying to get raw material from my years ago and it's banned. And yet here we are getting the, the horse's mouth from a few weeks ago. Indeed. Slight I mean, status, but it's good stuff, as you say. I mean, it's, you know, and in some ways this drip, drip feed has been very good because there's a new headline every day. I mean, I, to me, the most remarkable thing, and this is especially in the interviews he's just been doing, before we record, uh, is very strongly critical of Camilla. Yep. Um, and I think, and this goes back to things you and I have talked about before, it's his raising old ghosts for me from an era when, you know, Royal Spin really was a very dark art. And I know Elsa will disagree, I'm sure, because she worked for the Queen, and by and large, everybody thinks the Queen plays it very straight. But, you know... Raising Camilla takes us back to the Diana Charles Wars. What was going on? How did they manipulate news to attack each other? What was Camilla's real role in all this? Well, remember, you know, his loyalties was to his mother. He's in some ways uh, adopted his mother, as in since I mean, rather cynically, I think, uh, as as a way of, of pushing his cause. Uh, and of course, you know, you're in two uh, one of two camps generally: the Diana or the Camilla camp, or a lot of people are. Uh, and so this is very easy to play that game. Uh, but it, it seems very insensitive because, you know, we have moved on. Uh, she is now the Queen Consort, and he claims he doesn't want to hurt his family. Well, this is probably, as you say, the the easiest way of landing a blow on them. It's but you know, he talks about Camilla's ambition to become Queen Consort and leaving, you know, casualties at the road, I think is the phrase he's used most recently. And there was a period, you know, just before Diana died in the few years after, where Charles' office were particularly aggressive. You know, they went after, for example, um, poor old Prince Edward that time when he was filming William in St. Andrews. Um, a story I know a little bit about, actually. I met the director of that show, and he said that the real story was so much more complicated than what was presented. Uh, they weren't really breaking the rules at all, but they absolutely went for them. And, the, and I think the other members of the royal family, I was told, were just terrified at that point of Charles and his operation. They were out to get people. And that was partly so as to create space for Camilla. I mean, this might be stuff I believe and nobody else does, but um, I think he's raising those ghosts. Well, Mark Boland clearly had a, had, a, had a job to basically make Camilla acceptable. And, and you know, I suspect some people were thrown under the bus to do that uh, to, as part of the bigger picture. But it's ironic. Here is, is, is Harry rally against the press and against intrusion. Uh, and yet he, in some ways, is briefing the press against his family in a far worse way than well, any member of the family has ever done. Oh, I think so, yes. I agree. Hypocrite. You know, I, I think agree. Why it's very hard to have sympathy for him. It's not just that he's a damaged soul, but he's a complete hypocrite. Here he lectures people on, you know, carbon emissions and jumps on jets and exploits his royal position. Um, you know, if he'd gone quietly into the sunset, I think people would have had a bit more sympathy for him. It's a, well, I think he did have quite. He's had a lot of sympathy in America. You know, you've seen these various awards they've been given for standing up for, 
you know, against prejudice and, and, and speaking their truth. And, you know, there's always a Kennedy family, one of the many members on hand to give you an award in America. But, you know, that's a big part of their world and they are quite successful there. Although I do wonder, I get a sense it might be changing just from the coverage I've seen of the book. Um, I definitely think it's changing. I mean, this has been, the, you know, the, I think the Indies interviews, and we'll see what happens with some of the other American interviews, but I, I think it's definitely changing. Uh, uh, I mean, the thing is a bit like the, Windsor, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. There will always be a group of sycophants who will hang around you or want to take advantage of you and use you. Uh, and so he's not going to be short of, of people. And there's a lot of people who will buy into the story and the new narrative that he's, he's created, which no one can challenge because, of course, the royal family wouldn't. Uh, and so I, I, I think, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be two, a bit like Camilla and Diana, there'll be two sides. Uh, and people will be perhaps taking more entrenched positions. Mm. Yes, I think you're a harder man than me, Andrew. I'm a bit too soft for this game of scandal-mongering. I, I do have more sympathy for him, I think, perhaps, than you do and, and others do. And I, I can understand, you know, why, for example, when Clarkson, you know, we discussed this last year, when Clarkson wrote that horrible article, why didn't the palace immediately come out and say that was awful? Okay, they can't be they can't be denouncing everybody who says everybody. Well, because it was so evidently awful. I mean, everyone else did the job for them. I think, in some ways, staying above the fray as they do is very clever. Other people can fight those battles, and I mean, I think almost everyone denounced Clarkson, and he had to apologise. I mean, it was ridiculous. I'm amazed Sunny Times allowed that piece to run. It was the sun. It was the sun. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I think we got that wrong. Sorry. I think we should. Uh, if we're holding other people, apologise at Sunday Times. We should. Well, I, I did on Twitter, but no. Look, I, I just felt it was an easy win for them, as you say. Everybody else was criticising him. Why didn't no they? Need to, no need to get into the fray of other people are going to fight the battle. And also, these things pass very, very quickly. I mean, you're talking about attitudes to Charles. Well, think how they've changed in in twenty years, you know. Uh, and so, in yep. some ways, yep. it's war as fish and chips. Uh, it's a good story now. I mean, I feel it's a sort of guilty pleasure because I feel this is we're just fanning the flames of of publicity for him. He's going to sell more books, uh, make more money, money that's going to his pocket, not to any of these charities. Uh, and that was a bad move on his part. At least Sarah Ferguson gave a percentage of her ch uh, monies to charity. Um, but I, I, I feel uncomfortable. Here we are, in some ways, helping him along the road to, to a lot of money. Yes, and, and uh, maybe not a lot of happiness, though. It doesn't look well. It doesn't look happy. That interview with his friend Tom, what's his name? Bradby. Bradby. ITV yesterday. I mean, I, he just, he didn't enjoy it. That's for sure. Tom, Tom Bradby didn't enjoy it. Oh, no, Harry didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I thought he was more articulate than I expected. Okay. I don't know how well briefed he was. Probably better than, than uh, his uncle, uh, Andrew. But <laughs> Yes. But it wasn't that bad a cog. It wasn't anything like Adler's interview with Emily, Emily Bankless, that's for sure. But in some ways, the royals shouldn't do these interviews. It never ends well. You know, we talked about Panorama. We, we've we've got the news night. You know, uh, you're never going to beat the press. You know, and I think the Queen's idea of just never explain, never complain was a good one. Well, good for us journalists and, and writers because, of course, the the more that this dirty washing is 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 produced in public, the better it is for us. But for their own dignity, it's better it's kept quiet. No, I think you're right. And uh, yes, having mentioned the Queen, this might be a very apposite moment to use the magic of editing to introduce our special guest. Shall we do that? Yes, good idea. Okay. Well, here we go. Edit away, edit away. Hi. Hi. 
Huh? How are you? Very well. Nice to see you. And you too, sweetie. Good, good Christmas, good New Year. Yes, very good, thank you. Yes, I'm busy. I'm doing a book on Andrew, as you know, on Andrew and Fergie. So um, I've been doing that. Hello, nice Hi, to meet you, Elsa. Hi there, how are you? You have a Christmas and you. I am dead, thank you. I hope you did too. Yeah, no, it's great, thank you. Thank you. And we've returned to a scandal-rich New Year, it would seem. Oh, Lordy. I did good uh, GB News yesterday. And honestly, I think I'm, I'm tired of my own voice talking about it now. <laughs> Well, I'm just. This is a podcast. I saw there's a podcast coming up, which I'm looking forward to listening. It was on your LinkedIn. Oh uh, yeah, there's. I'm a, a member of this Barney group called the Mayfair Collective, who uh, work for high net worth individuals. And one of the guys is an ex security expert who wants to talk about communication security and sort of the, the clashes between the two on some occasion. So I just talked about doing it with the Royal Barney. Um, but yeah, everyone's a communications expert, as you know, Andrew. <laughs> exactly, so called Rolex. But you are a real expert. Well, you are. I'd, I'd, I'd love to start by asking you you know, all anybody's talking about is royal spin and the terrible things, apparently, that royal spin doctors have been doing to, uh, to Harry and Meghan. I mean, you're actually a real life one. So, kind of like, what do you think of all that? And what's that life really like from the inside? Well, I have to say, um, because the, the royal family and the queen doesn't talk about they don't set policies, that's government. You're not really a spin doctor. What you want to do is is promote the causes that members of the royal family um contribute to in a in a favorable way. That's what any communications expert does. And I have to say, the thirteen years that I worked as as communications press agent for the Queen, there was never one occasion ever where I ever briefed against another member of the royal family to serve on my own member of the royal family. Um, so I can only talk from experience. Uh, absolutely never happened under my watch. And do you think it might have happened under someone else's watch more recently? I, I, I would very much doubt it. And um, certainly under the Queen's reign, Andrew, you know, it's just someone she just wouldn't counter. She wouldn't want her own family attacked to further somebody else's um, you know, needs. It just wouldn't be something she would she would counter. She would be furious. So I mean, why just the institution as a whole? You know. And that's the most important thing. Um, you know, I look at all the ha- Harry and, and Meghan Ferrari at the moment. And, you know, I need your story. You know far better than I do. But I don't see this as a constitutional crisis. I see it as a bump in the road. You know, this is not the 1936 application. This is you know, a book that um, the fifth in line to the throne has written. And he's obviously deeply unhappy and he's deeply damaged by his experience, his, his account. But I don't see it as, as the end of the monarchy. But it's a sort of family tragedy. No, I don't. No, I think it's, it's. Uh, I mean, in some ways, the more he goes on, the more of a suicide note it becomes, doesn't it? I think oh, you're absolutely right. And certainly when I, you know, if they did the Oprah interview a year ago, um, the, the, I think the American people certainly were very, very sympathetic towards their cause. And they thought that the, the, British, the British royal family monarchy were institutionally racist, sexist, um, out of touch, out of date. I think that mood has shifted now I, with the American population. I think they're growing weary of these 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 constant sort of claims that, that Prince Harry has been making. And I think you know, he, he's purported to be writing two further books. What on earth is he going to put in them? You know, what is left to, to sell, really? And do you think there has any justification, any of the claims that he's made? I don't know. I don't know. I can only talk for own personal experience. Um, 
Uh, I know he, he had a very difficult relationship with the media. And I, I can see certainly in some points that he's, you know, he does have a, you know, a fair point of view. If you've, if you've got you know, one day a tabloid really, really defaming you and sticking the knife in, and then the next day they're on a royal road to reporting on you, you know, most human beings are be pretty upset about that. So I think he's got a point there. But um, there are other issues where I don't think he has a point. And I think the, the royal household are incredibly wise not to rebut. I think the dignified silos that they are they are doing at the moment and not rising to any of the bait is actually the, you know, the way forward. Well, I'm sure it's with a heavy heart that they're doing it. But as you said, it's, it is a family tragedy. One of the things that, that's been said is not so much that people have been attacking them kind of behind closed doors, but that the establishment, the palaces wouldn't defend them in the way perhaps they would have defended other people. Now, I don't know how practical it would be to be endlessly defending somebody who's been criticised, but do you think there's anything in that? I mean, or how do they come to believe that, do you think? I don't. I, certainly during my time, yeah, we issued, we had a fantastic firm of, of lawyers, and there were so many legal letters that went to newspapers when there were you know, huge inaccuracies you know, and, and libelous stories about various members of the royal family. So absolutely, when there was a case of rebuttal, we did rebut. But it's very difficult if you see a story and it's one fact that's wrong, but all the rest is more or less correct. And you you rebut that one fact because it sets a precedent and then you have to go through every fact. And when it's personal, yeah, and it's a, it's, a, it's a personal story about a member of the they don't want to talk about it, then basically your hands are tied anyway. That's so interesting. I, you know, we had Valentine Lowe as a guest a couple of weeks ago. And I'm, I'm sure you know, he was one of the, the main journalists responsible for raising allegations about bullying and mistreatment yeah. of staff at the hands of largely at Megan. Megan's hands. Now, of course, he's nobody would call Valentine a tabloid journalist. Um, I mean, he's the you know, is a establishment reporter for an establishment newspaper at the time. Yeah, and it, so it seems to me maybe there's a thing here where it's it's much easier to attack the tabloids because sometimes they frankly deserve it, whilst avoiding perhaps things that more serious writers and historians are saying. Um, is that the game? Do you think? I I don't know. I don't know. I think it's very easy to put every newspaper under the umbrella of tabloid. Um, yeah, I know members of the Royal Family had, had issues with, yeah, whether it's the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, or as it was the News of the World. Yeah, um, I think it's just, it's, a, it's an easy title to put all publications under. And, um, yeah, you could say, you told Bradby's interview last night, is that sort of a tabloid-esque yeah, version of, of, a, of a broadcast. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly you know, heavyweight, weighty, and I mean, do you think that some of Harry's friends will now feel that they should come forward and present another side, that even if the royal family stays above the fray? And I mean, that's presumably not going to be very helpful either. Well, what friends, Andrew? I think all the friends that certainly he had here, you know, the Mark Dyers, who was with him, right, Jamie Lowther Pinkerton, all those incredibly... You know, heavyweight statesman-like friends that the Prince Harry had advising him have all fallen by the wayside now. So when you say friends, you know, what friends? Whose friends? I think you know he has isolated himself in California. Um, he's got no family there. I don't know what friends he has there, unless they're friends of his wife's. 
So interesting point you make. You know, what friends? Certainly not his children ones. Yeah, well, I suppose, you know, in inverted commas, friends, I mean, people who feel perhaps that they've been loyal to him and now feel that they want to defend the institution that he's attacking. I think they would probably want to take advice from the Prince of Wales. Um, I saw in the, in, the, in the Sunday newspapers yesterday, a few of our Prince William's friends have started to speak out, you know, and they hadn't said, you know, We've defended Harry. We've kept you know, all the bodies under the floorboards. Of, you know, we've, we've protected, but now maybe it's a time to start speaking up. And I think you know, people who are loyal to the to Prince Princess of Wales would want to speak out. You know, the, the, the attacks seem to be pretty, obviously one-sided, because no one's saying anything else, but pretty vitriolic. You know, it's my brother making these points. It, you know, it's like open season. It's like being on a shooting range. You know, that every bullet sticks. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's backfiring. I mean, in some ways, do you think he should have been better advised to moderate his and, and focus his his? Yeah, play? I see it. But it goes back again to who is advising him. You know, there are the no elder statesmen in, in California saying to him, actually, sir, if you do this, the consequences are that. Yeah, so he's got he's got his PR people. Um, he's got Penguin Books. So of course, you know, he's a cash cow for them, isn't he? So, of course, they want the most salacious bits in the, in the book to sell copies. So I don't think there's anyone saying him saying to him, yeah, whoa, have a step back. Don't do this. It's um, a, I, I, I thought that the, 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 the comment about killing 25 people was a classic example of what happens when you rush a book or maybe what happens when you keep a book secret. Andrew and I both know we've both written books. Maybe you have as well as I don't know. You know, it's always great to show it to a friend or two, isn't it? Because you always make mistakes. You always get the tone wrong, even if you don't intend to. Somebody could have spotted that. And they didn't, I guess, because the publishers wanted to keep it super secret. Yeah. And I, I spoke to an army officer friend of mine over the weekend. And, you know, the military were massively wounded about this because they thought he was one of them. And it's they've got a sense of betrayal now. He said to me, you know, he may have been an officer, but he's sure no gentleman. Well, I think you know, that's, a, that's a good point. And he, by saying what he said, is putting military lives at risk when they go on overseas deployments. Uh, they're putting the public potentially at risk. You know, we've got a great big coronation happening this year with a, a huge security implication. How have Harry's words affected that? And then you, you, know, you have members of the royal family going and visiting their regiments when they're overseas. Uh, you know, will that carry on? So it's just that the knock-on effect of those sort of throwaway lines will, will have in the future. And I don't think he's thought it through. Well, certainly no one seems to have thought it through. Gosh, I mean, Andrew and I, we're closer than brothers, but we don't always we don't always agree. He's not knocked me into a dog's bowl yet. No, they're giving you some ideas, though. <laughs> well, there are, well, there is one area we maybe don't disagree a little bit. I did a bit of work on Diana, wrote a biography, made a couple of TV series. And I believe, you may not agree, I believe that during that very vicious, bitter time when their marriage was falling apart in public, there was briefing, and then maybe it wasn't briefing by somebody like you. It was maybe somebody, somebody's friends were authorised to say something. Yeah. I, and I think some things were said about Diana, especially concerning her mental health, which were regrettable and wounding. And I wonder if that's lurking somewhere in Harry's brain as a justification for what he say he, he is interpreting today. Is that fair? Maybe. maybe I don't know. I know exactly who you're referring to with the mental health comment. 
But then, of course, the princess of late princess of Wales was known for briefing the media herself. You know, you think of her relationship with Richard Kay of the Daily Mail, and she would meet him uh, and give him a story about her, you know, her estranged husband or about the household. So, you know, it, it's almost tit for tat. They were both as bad as each other. Yes, it was. A th- I found a clip actually of an interview I did with Stuart Higgins, who had been. Well, I saw him punch on Friday. Got oh, that no. he was. He told us, and this was only a few years after Diana's death. And they were speaking maybe more freely then than they would now. He told us regular conversations with Camilla. This is before the divorce and during the divorce, where she would ring and they'd chat. And he said to me, to, to my series, you know what? I reckon she got more out of me than I ever got out of her. So, I, I, you know, then you have the situation with Harry, you know, looking at what happened to, 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 to Camilla. And, and he's obviously quite bitter about it. He yeah, probably yeah. feels he feels she's manoeuvred herself, used the media perhaps. I mean, I've just tried to present some kind of pro Harry arguments here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's his truth, as he says. Yeah. And yeah, I, you can only, but yeah, I wasn't there. I didn't experience what he experienced. Yeah, he lost his mother tragically at a very young age. He's seen this bitterness with both camps, yeah, go all around him. But same did William. Yeah, and William is not acting like this. William True. lived through the same scenario as Harry, and yet William is not behaving in this manner. I mean, if you were advising Harry, what would you suggest he should be doing? Uh, first of all, giving up his title. I think both of them. I know he was asked by Tom Bradley last night, and or was it... Uh, one of the news items? It was American. It was the Anderson, I think. Okay, yeah, and he said, you know, basically, what's the point? I, I would stop, you know, stop talking. Proof is in the pudding. Start putting your, your your considerable voice into some proper charitable action rather than keep, you know, words are okay, but actions speak louder than. So stop, stop doing what you're doing and actually start working properly, working for the clauses that you are, say you're so passionate about. Yeah, I, I did feel he, he made it. A few mistakes actually in some of these interviews you know talking about the william dog bowl confrontation saying that william was just parroting the press and actually if you look back this happened nearly a year before valentine low wrote that story he wasn't yeah. parroting the press if he was parroting anybody he was parroting people who worked for him who were finding yeah. it very challenging to work for his yeah. brother yeah absolutely and yeah there's no smoke without fire and also, of course I remember when they got engaged, speaking to friends of mine who, who still work in the royal household, and I'd working for the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, and there was just such a joy around this announcement, and a, and a hope, you know, wow, the royal family that's leading the way, it's been multicultural, multiracial, modern, in touch, and it was just like, wow, look at us, get us, we are a leader in this. So there yeah. was a real hope and an excitement about absolutely. That's, that's been kicked into the memory hole, hasn't it? From uh, from California, the idea that she was just like everybody hated Megan from the word go. It's not what I remember at all. Absolutely, you look at the crowds. And, you know, I was at Winter for, for the wedding, and the crowds lined in, and the and that with the goodwill and the goodwill within the household. So that that narrative, which is just so untrue, really, you know, that real fake news. Do you think he's landed any blows on the monarchy? I mean, always as you say, just a storm in a teacup. They'll they'll sit it out and it'll be fine. I 
sit it out and they will be fine. Um, I think if this had been the first interview that he'd done since they left, I think it would have been far more damaging than it has been. But because we've already had Oprah, because we've already had, had you know, six Netflix documentaries, because we've already had the book leak, I think there is a, a weariness now amongst the public, certainly the British public. You know, we're all concerned about feeding our children but paying our heating bills and you know, trying to get into London if they've got a train strike or if our nurses are going to get a pay rise rather than you know, a, a prince and, and the duchess sitting in a $17 million mansion in California saying you know, everybody hates us. But, I mean, isn't the problem is selling books, it's selling newspapers, and so, of course, there's a speeding frenzy with the press. We'd be better, as you say, not doing these podcasts, Phil, uh, you know, and, you know, not giving him this ox- oxygen. But it will, it, I, it'll go, don't you think? He can't, he can't, he, he can't grab the headlines forever. And I think the longer it goes on, the more damaging it will be for him. I think there has been one, I think there has been one blow, actually, and I think it was the very first one in the Oprah interview, and suddenly enough, they've backed away from this a little bit. And the racism. Well, speculation about the colour of the baby and, you know, and I think certainly outside Britain, uh, you know, and they explicitly link this to the idea that the British establishment is tainted by historical connections to slavery and so on and so forth. Um, and of course, it doesn't help then when people pop up like Clarkson and, and really put the boot in an ugly way. But I mean, I think that blow in terms of the way the Britain is perceived from, especially from America, which is a key relationship for this country, I think that could have lasting damage. And when the next royal visit, there may well be protests. And I think that would be different and new. I agree. But I think if he'd made that claim during his book and interview now, it would have had more resonance than it. I mean, it's already out there, isn't it? You know, it's been out there for a year. And you're right. I think that was the one fact in the Oprah interview that really shocks people. And of course, you know, there was even a shout out when Prince Winning was on engagement, saying, and he defended the royal family, you know, the royal family is absolutely not a racist family, um, which is always unprecedented in itself. Remember the royal family. It is. It is. You know, answer, address something I mean, like do your, that. Do your contacts, I mean, I'm sure, I'm not asking you to reveal any great secrets, but does, does anybody come up with a theory about how they got that impression? Does anybody know how that might have, you know, perhaps an innocuous friendly conversation? I, there's a lot of speculation. Um, somebody said to me, it could have been a Jew. Yeah, is the baby going to be a ginger? Yeah. So I don't know. Was it, you know, the, the brothers when they were getting old were known for their, yeah, yeah, humor, yeah, and, and yeah, Mickey taking them each other. Could it have been something like that? I have no idea. I don't know. And I mean, is the the picture he presents as of rivalries going right back through childhood? I mean, is this a picture that the public didn't know about but actually existed, or are these perceived slights that he's now bringing out that no one realised were there? That's a really, really good question. So obviously, he wasn't around when they were when they were growing up. But um, I spoke to Ken Wolfe yesterday, who of course was their protection officer um, when when they were boys, and he said there was there was rivalry, and Harry did feel. That he was the spare, you know, he was the heir. Willie was always the one with the limelight because he was the heir to the throne, and and Harry always played second fiddle. So there was, yes, absolutely, from from almost day one, there was that rivalry. But then there might be, you know, my kids are like that, Andrew. Yeah, you know, my son always learned to say, "I'm the oldest." Yeah, you know, and so 
Lots of boundaries have that as well. Exactly. And the bigger bedroom and all that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like, you know, you have your firstborn child, you take a photograph of every move. You have your second child, there's zero photographs. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. You're giving them gin. And I mean, do you think the royal family will change the PR? I mean, if you were doing advising on PR, would you do anything to respond to these or just business as usual? Business as usual. Absolutely. I think if you start responding to one, then you're going to have to start responding to everything because you're setting a precedent. Um, I think, again, proof is in the pudding. Go out, do your do your duties. Go and do your engagement. Christmas is over now. You know, it's business as usual. So I think they roll up their sleeves and get on with us. So we, for example, now... <laughs> Sorry, third again. We'll do, do what they normally do. I mean, for example, we're talking about the accusations of racism. You know, would they, particularly after Susan Hussey, would they do more? Would you encourage them to do more events which show they're not racist or, you know, just carry on doing the things that they're required to do? What you don't want to do is do tokenism. You know, I would go, I, I remember before I joined the household, there was that iconic photograph of the Queen in that council flat in Glasgow, do you remember? Oh, yes. <laughs> Two chairs in this flat. It was after Diana had died. They wanted to show the Queen was in touch or relevant. And it was just awful. I mean, it was just blatant PR. And what the royal family don't want to do is just be a PR puff. So what you don't want to do is do tokenism. But, you know, the Queen is, is head of the Commonwealth. You know, what is more of a multicultural, multiracial family than the Commonwealth? So I'm sure he will do a lot with that. You know, realms, the coronation. There's an opportunity to actually showcase the you know, multicultural nature of this country and the yes. Commonwealth and the world. You know, I, I think an education job as well, because people people who are not British just don't know. I mean, this line that the Commonwealth is basically the empire repackaged. Uh, you you and I might think it's ludicrous, but actually, it really registered outside Britain. Yeah. Really did on social media. Well, I mean, you think of some of those royal tours recently in the Caribbean. I mean, uh, I don't know. Would would is that the fault of the Foreign Office not briefing the royal family properly? Uh, you know, not preparing the ground, or were there some mistakes made in judging public mood there? I can only say how a royal visit, obviously, royal visit is planned. So um, obviously, you have an input here. But the program is generally drawn up by the host country, so those who know the country most, um, in collaboration with um, either the High Commissioner or the Ambassador. Uh, then it's presented to to the household. They look at it, but they're acting on advice with those who are actually on the ground who know the country. So my understanding for the country you're, you're talking about, that awful, awful image of um, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge as they were, you know, putting their hands through the, the, the metal wires to you know to greet people on the other side. Awful, awful, awful. But that program was devised by those on the ground. Yeah. And I mean, I suppose also the press can p- p- present any image they want. I mean, I understand that they were able to walk around the fence afterwards. I mean, it wasn't as if yeah. they were caged. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once one person, I think it was Johnny Nining from the BBC, once one person started, it just... Yeah, it was like a road coaster. Everyone jumped on it. On things. Oh, have you any more questions? I think. Oh, no, I think we've, we've literally rattled through the subject really quickly, and it's it's so interesting to hear from an absolute insider like yourself. I guess the only question I'd ask is, do you know what I would? What I would say is, that I I'm just glad the Queen is not alive to see this because she absolutely loved her family. She loved her grandchildren. 
you know, the two boys, she was always been there for them. She's very close to both of them. And I think it would have totally broken her heart to see this, especially played out in the public arena. You know, she was very private when it came to family and she would have just loaned this. No, I'm sure she would. You know, I, I suppose it's the impact of a, a Megan and the therapy, I suspect, has is, is, is not helped this, that this has played out publicly. But I mean, I know you've always been a great believer in playing a strict, completely straight bat and have a very good relationship with the press, you know, and, and the royal household and the press had a good relationship. So in some yeah, way... And it's good to take. It's good to take. Yeah, absolutely. And I do feel, I feel very sorry for the royal household. Uh, I've never worked for a more professional, loyal, honest group of people ever. Um, and they must be feeling incredibly battered and bruised by all of this. And it's, it's relentlessness. So I feel incredibly sorry to them. And if you got the call from California, get on the next plane, Elsa, and help us out. A, would you take it? And B, what would you ask them to do? I think my first question would be, how much? <laughs> really? Well, you'd be doing your service to the country if you did that. Perfect. <laughs> I think it would hit. I think any reconciliation and rehabilitation for them will be quite a long process here. And would you see parallels with Windsor's? I mean, the the sense of the family freezing out the the retrograde the the the, the, the rogue royal. No, I don't. I don't at all. I think the the king will always keep the door open. I think they will be invited to the coronation. I suspect they might attend and use the 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 reason for attending. For their children, you know, it's their grandfather being crowned king, so they must be a part of it, which would be quite a neat way of getting around um, the whole issue. Uh, so, no, I don't think I think the door will always be open, but I think it goes back to also an element of trust. If they do have private conversations with the king and the Prince of Wales, will it be on the front page of yeah, the New York Times or on the next edition of Oprah? So I think it'll be the reconciliation will be a slow process, very slow. And if they come, it must be it will be a very awkward meeting. I mean, it's very difficult for people to be civil in in those circumstances. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But they you know, they did it for the funeral. They did it for the Platinum Jubilee, where presumably tensions were very very high there. But they managed to keep calm and carry on. So I'm sure if they wanted to do it, they they could do that. They could they could fight through. You can imagine all those body experts, couldn't you? Anal and the lip reading expert analyzing every every movement. Yeah, no, well, it's an optimistic way to end. I think the podcast, isn't it, Phil? It is. No, thank there you so hope. much for your insights. I think there is hope. And don't forget, they've come back from. I mean, the Diana Charles stuff, Camilla Gate tapes. Who'd have thought when you heard that that twenty years yeah. later he'd be coming the king, and everybody would be saying he's quite a decent bloke, really. I mean, just time. An application, and maybe, as you say, oyster-like silence is the way forward for these guys. Thank you so much for your insights and your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Mariah. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.